0: Hey, podcast listeners, a quick note. This project was originally conceived of as a book, but it seemed that we could reach more people more quickly in a podcast format. We are really unsure if we should proceed with the book, so we're going to leave it up to you. We put up an Indiegogo page with a realistic budget. If we meet our fundraising goal, great, there is a need for this book and we're going to write it. If we don't meet our fundraising goal, great that means that the podcast accomplished what we needed it to accomplish and there's no need for a book version you can get a lot more details on the indiegogo page um but there will be times where things seem incomplete there are some extremely important topics that simply can't be covered in a podcast format there will be things we can't discuss fully due to time constraints and some very important ideas that we will just have to skip altogether. In a book form, I can also be much more clear about citations. The project really is worth checking out, and we're all very interested to see what will happen. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Housing for All, the podcast that believes we all deserve a great home that allows us to flourish. I'm Chris and my
1: co-hosts are Mary and I'm Andrew. Uh, Welcome to our show, the latest effort from the Outrageous Mechanisms podcast network done in conjunction with a fantastic organization known as Housing for All.
2: Andrew and I are both podcasters. We we have done a bunch of shows about media and various silly things. And when Chris, our friend, approached us about working with his organization and actually covering something very meaty and meaningful, we were super excited. So, um, Chris, do you want to tell us what the show is going to be about?
0: So we tried to take everything that we know about housing and really distill it down into what are the essentials that everyone needs to know about reforming the American housing system. So what works in the real world and what do we do differently? Today, we'll be laying the foundation for the rest of the series. And really, we're going to be talking about why housing reform really deserves your attention. So, well, we got a lot to say,
1: uh, so let's go ahead and get into the episode.
2: So, it's our first episode. Chris, d- you know, did you did you start out thinking that you were going to become an expert in housing? Like, well, you know, I we I know you, but I, I I didn't know that this was a passion of yours.
0: No, um, no, I didn't know that about myself initially either. Um, uh, I would have been really surprised to find out that this was what I would end up doing. When I was in college, I was actually a physics and chemistry double major. I didn't and, know that,
2: uh, nerd. True, <laughs>
0: true fact. And I, after once I graduated, I worked in biotechnology, and I, you know, I just started having so many doubts about about my career choice. And the reason I had gotten into science was because. We when we see a problem, we tend to think that we lack the technological solution. Like there's a a problem because we don't have the technology to to actually solve it. And that was why I got into science in the first place. But in reality, we have we have the technology to solve most of the problems that we face. And we just are misusing that technology. The one that really stuck with me was Um, this example of golden rice and we learned about this in my biochemistry classes so they used what were at that time cutting edge molecular biology techniques to splice the vitamin a gene in rice and the reason they were doing this is worldwide vitamin a deficiency is a really serious problem so to this day a quarter to a half million children go blind every year and then of those half die within 12 months Um, so vitamin a deficiency is is no joke so some scientists were working on this idea called golden rice, and the idea was in a lot of these countries with in vitamin A deficiency problems, they, they eat a lot of rice. And so if you could splice the gene to make vitamin A into, into rice, then you would solve the problem, right? People would, uh-huh. they're already eating rice, and then they would be eating rice like, with vitamin A in it. Like mm-hmm. we do
2: with iodized salt. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Okay.
0: Well, not really, because with the iodized salt, we're simply adding iodine to the salt. Oh, um,
2: this is, this is Gene, right. This is like super, super science. You're right. going
1: like Jurassic Park with salt. Right. right. This, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. this just, is very yeah. high tag. This is like if <laughs> we salt. wanted to
2: make iodide salt, like an iodine, like salt makes its own iodine. Correct. Right, okay. Right. Got it.
0: Got it. Well, like an right. iodine apple. But you you're, I mean, it's, it's funny that you say that because, uh, so, so, okay. So this idea took, they did get it to work, but it took something like 20 years to to get rice that made enough vitamin a and could grow um and then but then you had to think about well now you have to adapt this rice to every climate that it has yeah. to grow in Ugh. um meanwhile in guatemala they had problems with vitamin a deficiency and simply started fortifying their sugar with vitamin <laughs> a and that's like, all it took to like salt.
2: iodized <laughs> salt
0: oh my God. right exactly yeah. and then there's other there's a lot of other ways to do this um Sometimes you can convince people to eat sweet potatoes, um, add that to their diet. Um, There is actually vitamin A shots. You wouldn't think that a single injection of supplemental vitamin A would keep a kid from going blind who otherwise would, Um, but that's actually all it takes. And so these are very, very cheap solutions. So like this this golden rice thing that we had learned about in my biochemistry classes, I kind of found this similar story with sanitation, um, vitamin and mineral deficiencies, clean water, malnutrition, vaccination, malaria netting. There's just so many problems that cause an awful lot of hardship and death. And we already we already have the solutions to these problems. So for so for example, uh, so among low income countries, the number one cause of death is lower respiratory infections. And many of those deaths are preventable. The number two cause of death is diarrhea. And Hmm. that's simply cured by drinking Gatorade. I mean, it's basically Gatorade. (laughs) um, And that costs five cents to make. The number eight and number nine causes of death in in low-income countries are simply inadequate access to prenatal and maternal care. And so I just kept coming back to this idea that we, you know, we know how to solve all these problems. We are not lacking in technology. And the diarrhea one really stuck with me because Hmm. it's, it's the number two killer in, in low income countries and it costs under five cents to treat it. And much of it would be preventable with adequate sanitation, which we again
1: have the technology for.
2: Which we absolutely know how yeah. to do.
1: Since, since the Roman Empire, <laughs> exactly the, the technology <laughs> to <Let's laughs> figure Great. that
2: out. So, how does this relate to to housing? How does this relate to our subject at hand? Could, is it possible that um, we also know how to fix all of our housing problems as we stand on the edge of watching, um, you know, millions of Americans get, <laughs> get evicted or foreclosed on? Is that is this another problem that that's like uh, like lower lower respiratory infections. We know what to do with it. We just aren't.
0: Yeah. So I think I think you're right. I think we do know if we if we kind of look at the problem. I think we do know how to solve this problem. And I think we can look at other countries that have succeeded and see what they've done and kind of use that as an example and see how we can build and improve on that. But I think there's another problem. I think that um, I think we don't think about problems in that particular way. So once I, when I was adding this all up in my head and I just I just didn't like the answer and I just wasn't happy with my career choice. So at that point I decided to switch to social work because um, I said, well, who's out there solving social problems? The social workers, it's it's in the name. <laughs> so I've, in my career so far, I've worked in, I've, uh, I've worked at the public defender's office. I worked in child and family welfare, developmental disability, mental health, a hospital setting. And it wasn't long before I felt some similar doubts that I had been feeling when I was working in science. Mm. And so uh, the best example of this um, was my time at the Public Defender. So my role was to help the actual lawyers with, um, with their clients who had problems that were other than legal. So it might have been, uh, been mental health. It might have been drug use was a really common one. Maybe they had caregiving responsibilities, things like that. Um, so so our work really did give people a much better defense than they otherwise would have had if they didn't have us helping out in that aspect. But I walked away. It was just so obvious that the legal system is set up to incarcerate a lot of people. And so there's a few a few policies that that do this. So mandatory minimums people talk about a lot. Truth and sentencing, I think, is the bigger issue, at least in this state. So I had somebody who got he got his parole revoked because he had gotten basically a police officer had planted drugs on him and he got charged with a new crime. And so that was a violation of the parole. You know, you You've
2: been found you, with drugs, you police, right? You
0: had right. You had police contact. So the judge actually found like threw out the case. The judge actually threw out the case because it was clear that the officer had planted the drugs on him. So in the eyes of the law, he was innocent of this crime. Yeah. But he got revoked because he had police contact.
2: Oh Oh, my my God. God. So
1: It was. I mean, should, stories we should, were like our We
2: should do a whole. A we should yeah. do a whole fall. <laughs> this is this, this. This is
1: season two. <laughs> yeah, this is season
2: two right here. Oh my um, god, that Jesus. is horrible. <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, and then, uh, but then
0: the other problem is once you get revoked, you get a new sentence. So it would it would be possible if you did some kind of minor crime and you got a year a year they would say out and in so or in and out so a year a year in a year out one year in prison Mm -hmm. one year on parole okay so you do your one year in then into your one year out you get caught with marijuana or something sure and then now the judge has to give you a new term like you're not done at the end of the one year the judge could give you one year in one year out and now instead of being a two year term it's like three and a half years
2: well, it's like, it's like the grains of the rice on a, on a chessboard. Like <laughs> they're just basically like yo yo in you in and out of the system. And, right. and that is by design, right? Cause that's how they make money.
0: Right, right, right. And so the companion bill at the time was to privatize the prisons and that happened briefly. And then there was this, this, um, this absolutely appalling case. So a prisoner in a private prison that had Wisconsin inmates um, killed a social worker, I think it was, and then they just tortured all of the prisoners there. Um, Jesus, it, it was um, the 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 yeah the the only time I cried during that. My uh, it was almost a year that I was there as an intern, was hearing about that. That was that was the only one that got me. Um, so at that point, we we un we undid the privatization. But the truth in sentencing was still there. So, I mean, Minnesota, the, the comparison i like to make is Minnesota is similar demographics, right? It's one um, it's also one kind of big city and the rest of the state is pretty rural. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's similar to Wisconsin and they have a third of the people in prison that we do. And, you know, there are no it's Minnesota is no more dangerous or safe. Than, yeah. No, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> that so, it, should,
2: it should be exactly the same. If if, it, yeah, if margin things of error, were like a little bit. Yeah, yeah. If things were equal. Um, wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, really. Wow. So, so really, the legal system, I mean, the le- we just we just put too many people in prison and we put them in for too long. And we could give the best possible we could give perfect legal defense to each and every person. And we would still be putting too many people in prison for too long, yeah. right? Being a being a public defender or, you know, being a social work intern with a public defender is not going to solve the problem.
2: Right. Well, because the system itself is flawed, not the people working within the system or the people right. who are getting harmed by the system.
0: Right. Even perfect legal defense would still result in too many people going to prison for too long. And then I also saw a lot of, a lot of people who had gotten caught up with opioids and really these were law abiding citizens for the most part who were turned into criminals because opioids were marketed as safe as uh, as safe and effective and then the drug companies that were marketing them as safe and effective knew full well that they were very addictive and very dangerous.
2: And they were like, well, um, that's great for our bottom line. Now <laughs> we have a customer for life. <laughs> right, um, right. <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's the thing that like, you're like you're a criminal, but you're, you're actually an addict. You need help. Like, yeah. This
1: isn't, yeah the, you have clearly been yeah. forced into a situation where you what you have been forced to do has been labeled a crime despite nothing that you have consciously yeah. chosen to do or what you've you broke your leg what
2: you've been told to do for your health yeah has now led to consequences you weren't aware of and now you're a criminal. and had no no line of
1: sight to understanding even yikes like cuz we have these trusted figures that actually like you expect to give you care and concern. No, that's just that's
2: all right. So so you, you did you did your time with <laughs> public <laughs> oh, defenders and you were like, oh, this is the system also does not use what we know actually works. Yeah. Then what?
0: Well, so so, you know, I, I could keep going on with examples about this. But the reality is that as a society, we send social workers to fix broken people. That is our job. But it became very obvious to me that people aren't broken most of the people that i was sent to work with aren't broken they just didn't have access to the things that they need to succeed and so housing was really the one that it's really at the top of the list before even healthcare. just housing was always an issue for anyone i worked with as a social worker
2: yeah well i mean it's uh it's pretty uh it's a pretty basic human need right we (laughs) all we that's that should be table stakes we should all have a place to live yeah yeah, right that's safe like i don't know when we t- when people want to talk about like the problems of the people experiencing homelessness i'm like i mean at table stakes i think everyone should have a safe place to sleep
1: yeah in a world where we have empty <laughs> houses
2: yes so no, many no one should be homeless so many it's absolutely crazy yeah.
1: So, confronted with
0: all this, I got really involved with the startup of Milwaukee Community Land Trust. Uh, the way I like to explain CLTs um, is to, to point out that there are a few dozen Habitat for Humanity organizations that partner with CLTs. So, with uh, Habitat for Humanity, if a family ever needs to move, um, their home might get bought by a landlord, um, it might get bought by a wealthy family or, you know, something like that. And that really wasn't the point of the program, you know, to pour volunteer time and donated money into a home um, that winds up benefiting a for profit landlord or or a wealthy family. Um, With a CLT, in exchange for help becoming a homeowner, you agree by contract that if you ever have to sell, you can only sell back to the community land trust and only for an affordable price. And then the community land trust will only sell the home to another low-income family and only for an affordable price. You can live there forever. You can pass it on to your children, your grandchildren, uh, etc., but it will always be reserved for affordable housing. That home can never re-enter the, the for-profit market.
1: That sounds like a pretty ideal situation, frankly. I mean, especially given, you know, the uh, things we'll be learning about later on in this episode, I suppose. Community land trusts
0: can work with homeownership, with rental housing, commercial properties. They're really versatile. Really, the sky's the limit. Any real estate... In a community, land trust is forever reserved for the public benefit. It can never reenter the for-profit market. There's literally hundreds of community land trusts around the world. The earliest date back to the 1970s It's just a great idea.
2: Hmm. That's a good idea. Maybe we can actually force good things to happen before they happen on a wider, (laughs) like a wider, more, um, I don't know. What's the? Well, well, I mean, we would need legislation, I suppose. But I like that this is a this a stopgap before that, where you can you can start making you can start making equitable housing happen now without waiting for uh, the rest of the country to catch up.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the in order for a community land trust, right, in order for this to work, in order for you to participate, um, you can have a low income, but you have to have a good credit score and you have to have a steady income. Um, and that's just a major limitation of the program. Um, you know, it's a great thing to do. It can help a lot of people, um, but it's really, it's really limited. It's not, uh, you know, it's not it's not a. It's not the solution to all of our housing problems.
2: Right. We can't just like force everyone into becoming, you know, Europe. <laughs> like <laughs> we can't just force it. Um, actual actual systemic change is needed. But this is this is a this is a nice way to get get it kick started.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, so to that end, actually, uh, lately, I've been helping to launch a new organization called Housing for All. And this, what we're recording right now, this is our very first project. Um, but we've got some very exciting things in the works. Uh, so we're going to have a newsletter, a blog, um, a YouTube channel, and then an ongoing podcast. This is just a mini series, obviously. So whatever format you like to get your information, please subscribe. Everything's up and running. Um, In the short term, we're going to focus on two issues. Um, First, to really make the case that reforming our housing system is a moral imperative. And second, that housing for all is an achievable goal. Hmm. Um, So for example, the first episode of the new podcast is tentatively an interview with someone whose family has been evicted in the past. And The second episode is going to be with someone who lives in a Mitchell-Lama cooperative. And so this is a special type of affordable housing program uh, in New York City. And, you know, you're going to be a little jealous hearing about this guy's housing situation. And if you were afraid that reforming our housing system would have some unintended consequences, these sorts of interviews should really eliminate that doubt. Um, (laughs) Also,
2: the last year should eliminate that doubt for you.
0: (laughs) So that's going to be the focus, at least initially. You know, not everyone knows just how bad our housing system is because, frankly, they've been lucky. Um, But we're going to talk to people who haven't been so lucky. And you're going to realize that these kinds of tragedies can happen to anyone in our housing system. It could happen to you. Um, And then on the other hand, you're going to hear from people in alternative housing arrangements and your reaction isn't going to be well what about this unintended consequence or that unintended consequence uh it's going to make you want to live there so anyway a lot going on i hope you check us out you can find us on the web at housing for us um that's housing the number four dot us
1: yeah it sounds very exciting i for uh, i look forward to checking it out and encourage all of you to as well so when Mary and I were planning out this episode, she said,
0: "Let's start out by really convincing everyone that housing is an issue that we should care about." And so, let's start. Let's start talking about housing by discussing the worst things I have ever come across about our housing system.
2: Brace yourself. Yeah, we'll start
0: out. We'll start out with uh, some examples from homeownership and foreclosures. So there were two times I've encountered where a bank foreclosed on a homeowner for a payment shortfall of less than
2: $1. This is just.
1: <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so a lot of people
0: <laughs> don't realize that a foreclosure isn't it's, it's worse than an eviction. It's not like you're just losing your home. Um, you, you don't get your down payment back any equity you've paid off in your home. You don't get back Um you're losing your
1: life savings. The bank gets to keep all of that.
2: I mean, it's basically like the bank is stealing a certain percentage of your house from you
1: because you were thirty cents under. <laughs> <your bank>. Right. <laughs> it's
2: right. And so, in both
1: cases, a paper check
0: was written for the wrong amount, and that's why they were less than a dollar, a dollar short. So it wasn't
1: technically, It wasn't even like a matter of not having the money. Right jesus
2: christ i mean because it's like like a dollar right (laughs) yeah i I mean
1: presumably if that's the yeah that's
0: so i mean the bank could have said oh well that was you know this was clearly a misunderstanding and forgotten about it because it's less than a dollar Um, but technically being a penny short or a day late on your mortgage payment that gives the bank the right to take your home That's
2: (laughs) That's <laughs> that's just that's like you know i I feel like when I was in high school, you know, I had a bunch of my parents friends are a bunch of aging hippies. Um For the most part, and it was just sort of like the man he 's out there to steal from you and I was like that doesn 't seem right, whatever, man, and now that 's me i'm like i'm becoming yeah. that's me I am this like i'm just like, oh it 's just all rigged so that- organiza- bigger organizations can come and just gobble up things and steal yeah. from the public i, it's I will say so like, awful.
1: as as a slight aside, I feel like you know one of the one of the uh things been doing while locked in her home of quarantine is watching sort of older shows. And it's funny to see these sort of tropes of people like that being presented as jokes. And you're like, oh, yeah, you can't trust. You can't trust the system. You Just can't sort of, trust the government. I sort of know like you're like, yeah, you really like, can't. Oh, I, I legitimately. that's like, legitimately. They we, should, we never should have laughed about that because this is. <laughs> yeah. This is
2: I do think that there truth. is sort of like a little bit of a shift there. I think yeah. it's it used to be like you can't trust the government because they're. They're they're out to get you. They're putting you know they're they're putting tracking devices in your water, like things like that, like fluoride, yeah. you know, like things like that. And now it's essentially like we can't trust the government because they're idiots. Well, it's all,
1: yeah, it's also like... they
2: are idiots, and it's going to lead to our death.
1: I mean, this <laughs> like, this is also like this is a symptomatic of like the evils of capitalism, right? I mean, this is yeah. this is something you can't. That we've you know, at least at least you know people have. Uh, i I think I'm slightly older than. Yes, but maybe like the thing you sort of grew up hearing is sort of a as a sort of truism that the capitalism was was right and good. But geez, good God! <laughs> well,
2: we, were, we grew up thinking that we should be grateful for capitalism.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, we we the privilege the privileges it's bestowed <laughs> upon us to lose our homes if we. We're a day late with a mortgage payment and everything that we owned. And well, and it's just, for. I'm
2: sure it's dispassionate too. And that makes it almost worse. Like it's yeah. not as if the bank is just like this, like greedy. I mean, they are yeah. functionally speaking, this greedy opportunist, but it's like, it's like, um, I'm not sure. Cause are you familiar with the movie Brazil, which is basically, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just like a big bureaucratic, like, like. there's there's something wrong with the paperwork and therefore these people's lives are ruined (laughs) like for kind of no reason it's awful
0: yeah i I think i think our next examples are going to challenge that view let's do it yeah okay so the fortunate thing about this this first example there were only two times i've come across where this has happened this next one happened too many times to count um so Uh, So (laughs) banks have been caught changing people's homeowners insurance without their knowledge or consent. Um, So now they have a new monthly payment that's a little bit higher, which causes them to be short on their monthly payment, and the bank takes the home. So imagine (laughs) that you're paying, so imagine you're paying, say, $85 a month for homeowners insurance, and, and then the bank, without your knowledge or consent, changes you to a different homeowners insurance, and instead of... $85, Eighty-five dollars. You owe a hundred and five dollars. The next mortgage payment, because your your homeowner's insurance is included with your mortgage payment, mm-hmm. your next mortgage payment is going to be twenty dollars short without you knowing,
1: and the bank takes your home.
2: Didn't this happen to you and me, Andrew?
1: Well, they didn't take our home. But, they didn't take our um, home. But no, our insurance company—it um, was a subsidiary of another larger company—and stopped existing. Yeah. And we got oh my. yeah they were like hey by the way you don't have home insurance um because the company that insured a home is gone um and yeah that was a that was a that was a struggle but yeah it, the, that but was But didn't
2: they like art, didn't they artificially raise our rates really really high until you like actually yeah, called yeah, them no, and I, um, figured I, it I out think,
1: I think I I think they were tried they tried to um oh, what was it there was some sort of situation where they they, were, they had a system in place to just like sort of roll you over into a new Set up that would have cost I think four times what we were paying, which oh, we geez. which we couldn't afford yeah um, nope. it would have been just an unreasonable amount of money to to pay for, and just by good fortune uh, i mean I think they they sent like one sort of vague we, got, letter we, got, we
2: must have gotten a notice <laughs> about it we knew enough to be mad
1: well they, yeah they they let us know that like it was changing but didn't give us a number and told us to call them and they had, they had to like, it was a whole thing where they set up an entire new office just to handle this situation, which was, I mean, it, it was definitely a moment where I, cause this, this was like the first year we owned our house too. So oh, I, geez. yeah. So I, for me, i was just like, Oh, Oh no. I like, is this what it's going to be like forever? So far it hasn't been, but I think every, not going to wood. Um, but yeah, no, geez. it definitely, you know, at that point, like being, being like, I'm relatively, you know, having spent all of our damn money on the house, we're <laughs> <kind of> like, <laughs> well, I guess I don't know what to do now. I feel like I, I have my sense of agency has been stripped away from me, and I don't know what's going on, and I might lose everything or have to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars that I simply don't have, um, but have to because I can't not insure my home. But yeah, right. you're right. So, that
2: did challenge my. So maybe they aren't just bureaucratic pencil necks who don't know any better and are dispassionately <laughs> stealing people's houses. Maybe evil. they're gunning for us. You're right. <laughs> okay, maybe,
1: Mary no, Poppins I mean, was in this right case, all along. They
0: were gunning for it. Like they, <laughs> yeah. the, the point of this policy was to
1: take the home.
2: Horrifying, horrifying. Yeah. So is is? Yes. I
1: mean, not to get too sidetracked, but like is. So I, I'm assuming, like, while this is explicit, this, this strikes me as a particularly, like, villainous thing to do, but I have to imagine that there is some sort of, like, sort, some, intent, some intent or justification that like they're doing this for some reason to benefit them. What is that reason? Like, why are they trying to, like, actively
2: steal, people steal people's
1: livelihood, entire lives and homes and, like, everything? Like, what do, what do they gain from this? Well, they get to sell the home. I mean, they get
0: to keep your down payment. Yeah. They get to keep your everything. Well, so I, I guess it's a little bit more. So it depends. So if the bank still owns the home, then they get to they get to keep the home and then hmm. sell it and whatever. You know, they get to keep your down payment, whatever they can sell the home for. If the price has risen, then they get to keep all of that. Um, if they don't own the home anymore this is something we'll get to in the third episode, but the federal government buys a lot of these mortgages, but then they keep the, they keep the bank on as servicer. And so if you're making your normal monthly payments, that's like a very small, that's just, they get a small fee from the government for, for doing that for servicing the mortgage. But if there's a foreclosure, they get a lot of money. Um, They get like a, a big, A big fee for servicing the foreclosure and then some of the some of the sale price. So it's in their financial best interest kind of either way for you to foreclose.
2: (laughs) Right. It's like, well, at least it's at the very least slightly more. uh, It's slightly better for them to foreclose on you than just to have you actually successfully pay off your home loan and then own your house outright. Right. I mean, it's like credit cards. Right. Yeah. They don't actually want you to pay them off. That's not. They they want to
1: ruin your life. That's That's not how they
2: make the big bucks. Um, Yeah, that's that's damn evil. All right, what's next? (laughs) Keep, keep it coming.
0: OK, so there's also banks have been caught foreclosing on people who were never a day late or a penny short on a mortgage payment. They simply forged the documents they needed to take the home. <laughs> what? So and, and how
2: did they and, get away with that?
0: There was one there was one case of well, one that I've seen where somebody had fully paid off their mortgage and a bank forged the documents to take the home, even though he had paid off his mortgage in full. Jesus. So how do they get away with it? So I think yeah. we are probably going to have. So this is this has happened too many times to count. I figured we were probably going to have to skip this part, but I'll just I'll just tell you it since since you asked, how do they get away with it? <laughs> yeah. Um. So one West Bank was probably the one of the worst offenders for for doing this, Um. for like forging documents and taking people's homes and predatory lending and just just the whole the whole nine yards. On the Democratic side, Kamala Harris, who is a senator and a presidential candidate um, (laughs) at the time, she was attorney general of California, where One West is located. Um, She actually declined to prosecute One West Bank, even though her own office uncovered over a thousand instances of One West breaking the law. (laughs) So how I mean, and then, then on the Republican side, President Trump took One West owner and chairman Steve Mnuchin and promoted him to treasury mm-hmm. secretary. Oh my God. So now he's he's now organizing the covid bailout. So oh. I well, mean, that explains so answer, much. How did they get away with it? Our our political system just has no interest in. Yeah. Prosecuting. The, them they're or, on. You know. Yeah, they're on their yeah. side.
2: It is not of interest to anybody. I mean, like, right. Like, I guess the most simple answer is they're big. We're small. They go after right, people. Right. They go after people. It would be a nightmare for an individual to litigate them right so they don't and like and they just cut some sort of deal and then it's done but it's never in the favor of the person because this is a crime (laughs) an absolute crime and the the reason that they're so they're so much bigger and we are so much smaller is because all the politicians don't care (laughs) they don't care (laughs)
0: <laughs> correct ah,
2: so cool. all these
0: examples all these examples i found in this book called chain of title by david dan highly recommended if you want to really understand what happened with the housing crisis you know the 2007 to 2009 housing crisis that book and predator nation by charles ferguson yeah. you'll be fully up to speed
2: <laughs> very cool So a little
0: recommendation there let's switch to rental housing so There was a 2016 investigation by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel on the low-income rental housing market here. In a single house, they found foul-smelling mold growing on a sagging basement ceiling, a faulty furnace and faulty water heater. Uh, Both of them broke down for several days in January, leaving Mm -hmm. the family without heat and hot water. Um, two years before the journal sentinel was in there city inspectors had ordered that this house could not be occupied because there had been a house fire that was caused by faulty wiring the landlord continued renting it out without repairing the fire damage or repairing the faulty wiring that caused the fire in the first place um that was just one house some other <laughs> homes had some other homes had raw sewage gas uh, gas leaks no working plumbing uh anything you can think of
2: you know what's the most despicable part of all of this? You know how like so if you if you're like middle class or above and like you're a young person, I remember this happening to me when you're like a young person about to move out for the first time, like you're going to college, you're gonna live in the dorms, you're gonna like get a your first like you know crappy uh college apartment we kind of like almost romanticize that.
1: I was thinking about that recently. As as middle class
2: or above people were like, oh, this is just like part of the, this is like part of your growing process as an adult is to get an apartment where nothing works and your landlord doesn't care about you and blah, 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 blah completely ignoring the fact that that is like just a privileged perspective because eventually they assume that you're going to be a homeowner and then it's your responsibility to fix the raw sewage that's in your house. (laughs) That is after the bank like, you know, decides to let you keep your house and not outright steal it from you as we learned above. But like that. So I, I feel like there's almost like culturally speaking, when we hear about rental housing, being crooked and landlords being crooked and and making people live in bad situations, we're just like, yeah, that's part of it.
1: It's youth, and, and it's like, no, these are the, adult people with children. Like these are like families. These are and it doesn't you know. matter.
2: Like they still own. Like if you have a house that has faulty wiring and is has a and is catching on fire, <laughs> and you're in an urban space, that's bad for all of your neighbors. That's bad for the city. Like yeah. it's bad for your community let alone the fact that these people who live here are actual human beings who deserve to have a safe place to live and are paying yeah. for the privilege for yeah. a safe place to live that's that's awful that's absolutely right right
1: even like struggling to pay for the privilege in many cases like that's yeah. that's that's the that's the deepest evil of all of this is like this is a strain that like exhausts people's ability like this is this is this is yeah, a it's not like, like it's
2: like affordable no
1: god no no god no especially like in an urban environment like you know you live in a city in america you're you're you know you're gonna be paying a decent amount of money regardless of where you're at at this point yeah and and like you can, you can everything could burn in a fire for god's sake like uh that's awful yeah so how
0: how can how can they get away with this and so it's it's through a loophole in corporate law so the strategy is you incorporate each home separately as an LLC. So the LLC is not a real company. It's just a shell corporation. All the money goes to the landlord, not, not the LLC. Sometimes the tenants aren't even writing their checks to the LLC that supposedly owns their home. Um, so obviously, these landlords are doing no maintenance on the buildings whatsoever, and they're not supposed to be able to get away with this, right? There's... there's a uh, so they, so they do get building code violations from doing, not doing any maintenance. And then when they don't fix those violations, they get fined. But remember, it's not the landlord that's getting fined. It's the LLC <laughs> that's getting fined. So through doing no maintenance whatsoever, eventually the home is going to become completely unlivable. And the next step in the process is the landlord simply stops paying property taxes. But remember, it's not the landlord that owes taxes. It's the LLC. Never mind that the landlord has taken all of the money out of the LLC and the LLC is bankrupt. Uh, It's the LLC that owes these taxes and fines. Now the problem is, you cannot sue a bankrupt LLC, so the city has no choice but to forgive all the unpaid fines and property taxes. So the Journal-Central investigation found single homes with over $100,000 in fines for code violations all forgiven. There were single landlords with hundreds of thousands of dollars in unpaid property taxes that had all been forgiven. Um, There's simply no way to recover any of this.
2: Oh, my God. God. (laughs) That's so revolting. That is so revolting, and in, in, in many cases, as you said, like it's not as if you're writing your um, it's not as if you're writing your rent checks necessarily to the LLC. I've I remember, I can recall, um, not a renter anymore, but I was for, of course, many years. Like most people, um, I can remember times when I would write a rent check to the LL, to an LLC. Like mm-hmm. that's who that's yeah. th- that's must be how they mm-hmm. opened that bank account that that money went into, yeah. but. I, I, I never knew any of this. I never knew that that was, like, basically a shell for the landlord to protect themselves. Which is crazy because in, in
1: many instances, like, with smaller businesses, like, that's... The whole idea is that, like, if you, like, own a flower shop and it burns down or something like that, it doesn't destroy your personal life. That's, like, that's the sort of... That's how LLCs are presented in, like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: a positive light. Like, like you know, but then that gets so twisted. Like, it bl- blows the mind that we can't, like... There's, there seems clearly to be there's situations where, like, personal responsibility should be a contributing factor into, like, decisions around fines, fees, bankruptcy, lawsuits, etc. Like, if you're if you're actively endangering the lives of people through negligence, you shouldn't be... I don't know. God, I mean... Right, speaking but of if the preacher in the choir, I guess, but... But like, if you had, like, a God. chain
2: of flower shops and they were all burning to the ground, eventually your insurance company would be like, Hey, yeah, I think... I think you got a problem here. We are tired of paying out the nose, but how does that not affect landlords? Do they not have? Do they, are they not beholden to have insurance on their properties?
0: Um, so that's a good question. Um, so so there are landlords that do use LLCs, and they're not abusing this loophole. Yeah. Um, but these, I mean, these particular landlords were. Um, as far yeah. as
2: <laughs> they probably as did not as... have insurance. Then. They
0: probably don't. I I mean, the reason you're required to have insurance is if you have a loan, like if there's a lien against the property and the lender is forcing you to have insurance. Otherwise, it's most people would make sense to protect their property by having insurance. But obviously, if the business model is to squeeze every penny of profit out of the building and then give it up then that's you're probably not going to pay for insurance
2: that's so true yeah so like they pay off the the, these properties are probably paid off and there's just like there's nobody i mean i like there's just nobody enforcing any of that
0: right (laughs) right um so so then the kind of the last step in the process so ordinarily if somebody stops paying property taxes The city will take the home in what's called a tax foreclosure then they'll sell it on the open market and that's how they recover the delinquent taxes so now the city's taken these homes and they would love to sell them to recoup some of the losses but the home is in such bad condition that it's worse than worthless it's actually (laughs) a danger to the public yeah so rather than sell the home to recover some of the forgiven property taxes and fines the city actually has to pay to demolish the building how much does a demolition cost? about fifteen thousand dollars. And if you add in legal costs for this whole process, the city could spend twenty to thirty thousand dollars each time this happens instead of getting paid their property taxes and and fines.
2: right. and instead of and instead of having the city use that money for things that actually help the community as a whole, <laughs> right like this is totally this is totally allowing people to like vampire on the system. And right then, this is
0: taking money away from schools it's taking money yeah. away from sanitation.
2: Yeah, this is really bad. I mean basically you're saying that it's okay for it's okay for the system to allow uh, landlords to to buy up and gobble up large portions of cities effectively forcing the community to live in substandard housing which then eventually falls to crap which then the city ultimately cleans up for them using right. Using and I'm gonna sound very Republican, our taxpayer dollars. But it's true. <laughs> yeah. Which then don't go because I'm happy to pay my taxes, but I'm sad I'm sad that it's getting used this way. I wanna pay for schools, I wanna pay for public transit. Public want, health initiatives. Public health <laughs> initiatives, nice things, things we all need. But yeah. this is this is just a suck. Ew. I hate this.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. Yeah. And so for the most part, this is all legal. <laughs> Uh so if you want to so if you want to if you want to really read a lot more um it's the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel the series was called Landlord Games they found dozens of examples of this need to point out that this is not something that's unique to Milwaukee we're lucky that it was exposed in the media and we know about it but this sort of thing happens all over the country
2: Of course I feel like that's the other thing of our our time we used to think that like you know, um, human suffering of particular types was like unique to a place, and now we're <laughs> like, no, no, it's everywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, we're all, we're all in this together.
2: <laughs> another, another really cute uh, middle class uh, assumption. Like every time I now read about, uh, occasionally you run into this. Like someone writing for the Atlantic or something will be like, I just never could think that, like trump could exist but then i realized it's because i've been only living in new york and la for my entire adult life i'm like do you realize how racist and terrible those cities and those police are (laughs) like you're just in a nice little bubble i live in a bubble too it doesn't seem possible because i don't as far as i know i'm not like consorting with horrible racists committing hate crimes but like that doesn't mean it doesn't happen in your city you should read the goddamn news yeah anyway small rant carry on
0: (laughs) yeah of (laughs) course of course yeah um so so switching gears a little bit um so another thing that i want to i want to point out is that we actually have far less affordable housing than we believe there is so the data make this problem seem better than it actually is um so The reason is there is a stock of rental housing that meets the government's definition of affordability. But if we actually take a closer look at this housing, we're going to find some pretty serious problems. And so just just for our purposes, we're going to look at um, it's about half of America's affordable rental housing is in private for profit, one to four unit apartment buildings. So that's what we're going to be talking about right here, just to illustrate this point. Mm -hmm. So The first problem, this affordable housing is not actually affordable. So a quarter of renters in this housing stock are paying more than half of their income on rent. And 60% of renters in this housing stock meet the government definition of unaffordable housing. And so that definition is spending more than 30% of your income on rent. So this is introducing some pretty circular logic. The housing meets the government definition of affordability, but the occupants meet the government definition of unaffordability. How can that be? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, So So 60% meet the definition of unaffordable and a quarter (laughs) are spending more than half of their income on rent.
2: So in terms of, I guess... So, so, this just is so baffling to me. Um, So it's sort of like the houses they've branded them as affordable. However, the people who happen to be living in those houses still can't afford them. Oops. Right. And and they're just kind of like, well, okay. Like so. So the scale of what affordability means is just must be incredibly whack.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So. So at a glance, it looks like there is some affordable housing, but it's it's really not true. So why? Why are there? Why are the how can this be that the housing is affordable for most people, but it's not affordable for the people living in it
2: (laughs) for the actual? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It's like it's like, no, 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 this this product is fantastic for most people. However, all the people who actually need it, it's um, quite debilitating when they use it. Yeah. They're like, no, that's not how it works. As a user experience designer, that makes me bang my <laughs> head against the wall.
1: <laughs> so the, as a human, the, that makes me bang my head against the wall. Jesus Christ! Yeah, for real. Uh,
0: so the, I mean, so the the way this happens is as the way I like to explain it is this affordable housing isn't really housing either. Um, So looking at this housing and so some of this data is pretty old. Um, That's that's really a problem that this 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 issue hasn't been studied very much. Um, But from the data that we do have, a quarter of this housing stock is grossly, grossly substandard. And so um, so substandard in in the data set that these researchers are using has a specific definition. It includes incomplete plumbing, incomplete kitchen. Uh, leaking roof, no heat, exposed wiring. Notably, a gas leak isn't on the list. Um, but I mean, we're talking about some serious, serious problems. Oh my
2: but... God. Yeah, I mean
0: really, really substandard. I mean, if... And so, a quarter of it is is substandard. Meets that definition of substandard. Wow. If you
1: don't have a roof, for, or, a, or like for you a your... of this. Uh, oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I say, how do you even? How does it even like constitute like a livable house? At that point?
2: incomplete plumbing blows my mind. That,
1: yeah, <laughs> that
2: seems pretty i mean that come
1: just, on. again that's just cruel yeah that's just cruelty right. yeah pure and simple uh-huh. um Sorry. so for for a fifth
0: of this housing the landlord spends nothing on maintenance <laughs> so imagine what it's like to live in an apartment where there is nothing spent on maintenance no maintenance is ever done
2: Right. So so it's like your house is substandard anyway and then what you do have breaks and there's nothing and there's is, nothing it, to be done. It
1: is broken. Those pipes are never right. coming back.
2: This is another like, thing this is another thing where I feel like we romanticize that, the idea that like, oh the landlords never do anything. Ha ha yeah, and you're like, yeah. No, this is serious.
0: Right. This is people dying in house fires. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Um this <laughs> is people becoming disabled for life from being exposed to lead paint.
1: Oh god. Yeah, the thought of the, um, the so no heating in a city where the temperature can go down to like negative fifty degrees a couple winters ago, like like you can't justify that.
2: I definitely thought that there were lots of laws around that. Mostly, yeah. mostly I think because I know that they can't, like the the heating companies can't can't turn off your heat in the coldest months of the year. But if there's just no because heat to You're turn not off, paying your bill, yeah. but I didn't consider that if you don't have you don't have a system <laughs> yeah. in place to provide heat, that that is a that's a false economy. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's awful. Oh my God. Well, and I know also a lot of uh, a lot of bigger, I mean these are smaller uh, apartment buildings, so probably they would have their own at least some control in theory over the heat but i know also a lot of landlords control temperature for their
1: yeah oh uh, yeah and I, yeah. I bet
2: that that's not as regulated as it should be
1: yeah
2: <sighs> great <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so and and again this shows we were we were talking about landlord games in milwaukee as it's called here um but clearly this happens everywhere this was a nationwide data set so it's not just milwaukee that this sort of thing goes on it's it's everywhere. Yeah, um, and then the last part: ninety-five um, percent of this housing. You did not mishear me. Ninety-five percent of this housing is on the brink of bankruptcy. So that either means that market rents are lower than the landlords' mar- <clears throat> Excuse me. So that either means that market rents are lower than the landlords' mortgage payments, or the maintenance budget is too low to support a home.
2: Wait a minute. <laughs> so I mean I this is not as as surprising to me as we just watched like some of the biggest corporations in the world tank after being um asked to shut down for 2 weeks. So I'm I'm not <laughs> so surprised about this anymore. But I guess I had always kind of considered it that you had like these part of my part of my romanticized vision of what a landlord is. I always envisioned that they were just kind of like lazy cranks who were collecting money hand over fist. Um by by charging me exorbitant rents, but no.
0: Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of, so there are people who are gaming the system. There are people who are putting their tenants' lives at risk. And, you know, there was a, there was a landlord in Milwaukee who got arrested for um, not, not uh, uh, for not taking care of lead paint in too many Mm -hmm. of his houses. And he actually got arrested. And within a few days he had come up with $700,000 cash (laughs)
2: <laughs> whoa
0: <laughs> uh to get himself out of jail as 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 bail whoa so yeah, not yeah, to so fix I mean, the lead paint is,
2: problem but yeah. Yeah. right
0: so i mean there are so there are people that are taking advantage and gaming the system and putting people's lives at risk but there also is this sort of group of smallhold landlords that went into it for all the right reasons maybe they bought a place down the block and wanted to invest in their neighborhood yeah. and then there's some serious problems with credit and um the market just isn't working. It's it's not it's not practical to be a smallhold landlord. Um, and so a lot of people got into it for all the right reasons and didn't realize what they were getting into. Hmm.
2: Oh, I guess I, I guess now I thinking about so you have people who are not putting money back into their houses. So they're basically just like which automatically I would think would mean that their house is worth less then it's actually worth, you know what I mean, according to the bank, because Mm -hmm. they're just like hammering these into the ground and like just kind of like taking the money for themselves. Or you have people who are trying to do the right thing, maintain their properties, rent them for reasonable rents, you know, keep their tenants happy, do all the right stuff. But then the market's not on their side. So (laughs) there's real
0: economies of scale where a small hold, it's just so hard to make it work. Um, And so, I mean, right, once once a roof goes or even a furnace or water heater, right, these are all several thousand dollars to replace and the landlord won't have a budget to repair those. Um, So (laughs) it's it's bad. So it's very bad. So the big picture, this is housing of last resort. So, again, this housing technically meets the government definition of affordable, but it is very low quality, very poorly managed. No one would choose to live here if they had a choice it only houses people who cannot afford to live anywhere else so in other words this housing may meet the government's price for affordability and it may indeed be affordable to a typical renter or even most renters but it's not affordable to the people with the misfortune of actually living in it great makes sense to everybody i mean tragically yes
2: tragically yes <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a good way of putting it
0: So we think we have a stock of affordable housing, but in reality, the situation is much worse than a glance at the data would suggest. Okay, so um, so let's kind of lay out some uh, lay out a roadmap for what we're going to be doing over uh, these next couple episodes. So what would a good housing system actually look like? So there are so many different issues. So to really Keep the show under eighteen hours long. we're only gonna look at four <laughs> mm-hmm. um so the first one is housing affordable. Can people actually afford to live there? Pretty straightforward. Our criteria number two is tenure stable so are people forced to move if they don't want to move um Number three is the housing high quality so you know when you walk into someone's apartment or somebody's house that you've never been there before, and you get the sense of like, oh, this is a great place, like I could live here um Does the housing system like give us that kind of feeling right Hmm. um and the fourth one is housing maintained to last for centuries um so really if if a house is properly maintained or an apartment building is properly maintained there's no reason it can't last for centuries Um, and it's just wasteful to not maintain your housing stock and have to demolish and replace it yeah so those are our four criteria that we're going to use um is housing affordable is housing stable is housing high quality and is it maintained to last for generations? So one one thing we're going to have to talk about. So it's not going to be possible to make an apples to apples comparison, unfortunately. We're going to be talking about different housing systems, but an apples to apples comparison is going to be really hard because it's really not clear where the housing system ends and the rest of society begins. So, for example, if we find that people can't afford their homes, is that because housing's too expensive or is that because people's incomes are too low.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. Hmm.
0: So we're going to want an apples to apples comparison. How does this housing system compare to that housing system? We're just not going to be able to have that because there's just too much going on, but we'll do our best.
2: Yeah, well, and it it seems like we can really only improve. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> yes. so there's a long way to improve. So,
2: I mean, I know we might not find the perfect solution, but <laughs> yeah. it, it, it would be nice to make some good strides.
0: Yeah. So the last uh, the last thing to talk about before we jump into our first housing system, let's take these four criteria and apply them to the American housing system. Yeah, we don't do very well. So by criteria, number one is housing affordable. Just a few statistics. Half of all renters spend more than 30 percent of their incomes on housing. Remember, that's the government definition of unaffordable housing. Mm -hmm. 18 million American households spend more than half their income on housing. In the past two decades, average move in rents more than doubled from two thousand one to two thousand fifteen. Median household income decreased at a rate of point 0.1% per year, whereas median rents increased three percent per year.
2: Good. Yep. Oh
0: my god. <laughs> that
2: sounds that sounds good for everybody involved. Yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> This is one Mary suggested as of quarter one of 2020, seven percent of all rental housing units are vacant. So we have several times more vacant homes than we have homeless people.
2: Yeah, that's like I mean, I, I just so happen to have like read a bunch of articles about this and it just like galls me to no end that there are so many people who. For, for a lot of reasons uh, are experiencing homelessness and we're just, and, and it seems like we are just like, well, what can we do? Yeah. So a problem with no solution whatsoever. And you're like, you have empty units sitting.
0: So our, our second criteria was stability is housing stable. Are people being forced to move if they don't want to? Um, so in 2016 alone, 900,000 renter households were evicted around Nine million households lost their home in foreclosure in the several years following the housing bubble collapse. The American home ownership rate has sunk to lows not seen in half a century so in this country, home ownership rate is the only stable form of ten year right a one year lease that has to be renewed every year that 's not stable that 's not stable housing um, so the fact that home ownership rate we haven 't seen such a low home ownership rate in fifty years um, and that's the only stable form of tenure, that's not good for for housing stability.
2: I, this is one of those statistics that I'm like, how is this? I mean, I I think that there are lots of articles written about this, but generally speaking, the ones I see, they're just like, once again, they're like, I mean, it's just differences of these generations. I'm like, no, yeah, there's something very wrong here.
0: Yeah, so criteria number three, poor quality. So we discussed this at length a few minutes ago. We have real problems with housing quality in this country. And the fourth one, is it built to last for generations? We have many thousands of units of housing stock that deteriorate to the point at which they need to be demolished every single year. We got at that um, a few minutes ago. So that's also a big problem, it's just wasteful.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's ugly, generally speaking. (laughs) There's a reason people want to live in like old charming houses, but then you move into your old charming house and you're like, oh, everything's broken. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Um, That's what made it so charming. Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
0: And then the last, you know, the last thing we'll say is that while we're researching and recording this episode, this is all these data are all coming from before COVID-19. We don't know how COVID 19 is going to affect all this, but the preliminary data on housing looks very, very bad. So, if you thought, you know, if you're listening to this later on and you think, well, you know, COVID 19 really, really messed up our housing system, um, it may have, but things were very, very bad before
2: then. Yeah. Just like healthcare. <laughs> just like healthcare. Yes. It, it, it yes. just, it will just make it worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't imagine. I don't suspect that many great depressions are super great uh, <laughs> for um, housing that is affordable, people feeling stable in their homes, houses being high quality, and um, buildings uh, being maintained and being built well. <laughs> don't think great depressions are good for that. So. cool, great,
0: great, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, you ready to to Get started looking at different uh, how they do things elsewhere.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's like a combination. My my emotion going into this is a combination of um, House Hunters International um, and Richard Scary Books. I'm like, how do they do it in Norway? I'm very excited. <laughs> All right, we we have to take a break. This episode. There's so much to say. So as you may have noticed, listener, we've cut it into two parts. You've just finished part one. We strongly encourage you to move forward and listen to part two coming up next. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. You can check out um, this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play. You found it already. So keep doing that. Um, And while you're there, reviews, ratings, all of those things help us immensely. So please, please do this that solid. You can also visit um, Chris's organization, HousingNumeral4.us for more information. And also find us on our website, OutrageousMechanisms.com. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye! just